Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. length of time here at Vineyard 61, um, you would notice that one of our core values as a church is generosity. Anyone kind of like sniff that one out? And we want to see how far as a church community we can push generosity. And our dream is that as a church we'd be known in this area as a radically generous community. I gave this talk last week at Balham and I was debating... um, whether to do this talk today, just in the light of all that's kind of accelerated this week with the coronavirus. But I actually think what better time to talk about generosity and actually how we increase in generosity as a community. It's almost like the opposite of what society is doing. Um, How can can we as a community respond and kind of like do completely the opposite, really? Firstly, a bit of a disclaimer. I know that when pastors talk about money, it's just weird. It can be a bit of an emotional trigger. Um, I don't want to teach on money. You don't want me to teach on money. So we just don't talk about it in church unless we're doing a giving campaign. So one of the many things that Jesus is famous for is just turning our vision of the good life on its head. And it, Jesus said this about money. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And literally that Greek word for blessed there is a Greek word called makarios. And that literally means happy. And it literally means that there's more happiness in giving than in receiving, or in a life of generosity than than in a life of greed or materialism. And now all sorts of social science has shown that, absolute shocker, Jesus was way ahead of his time. And we don't need like social science or research to, to prove Jesus or to validate our trust in the New Testament. But I just find it fascinating. So, uh, there's a couple of sociologists, Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson, and they have a book called The Paradox of Generosity. And they basically conclude that generous people are happier, they're healthier, they live longer, they have lower levels of depression and anxiety, they're more interested in personal growth, and they have better long-term relationships. How about that? Good start, eh? And so I say this not to be just a good idea, but it turns out that the Western formula of more money equals more happiness just is not true. And so it comes as no surprise that Jesus actually cares so much about this area. Scholars estimate that about 25% of Jesus' teachings were to do with money at some level. 25%. Could you imagine if every fourth Sunday... Um, our sermons were about money. Imagine that. Probably the congregation would shrink. (laughs) But Jesus spent so much time talking about this subject. And and this is really fascinating because he's not a rabbi leading a synagogue or a congregation. He's not needing to raise money for an associate rabbi because we've just got so many people at the synagogue this year. You know, he's not raising money for a building project for the temple in Jerusalem. He's not even raising money for the poor like Paul Paul did later on in the New Testament. He's just interested in the human heart. He's always interested in the human heart and freedom and love and life with God. 
And so for Jesus, as best I can tell, money is just so much more, it's, it's so much more than just about money. It's always about the heart, like the interiority of the heart. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus, is uses, Jesus uses money as like this tool to reveal what's really going on, to look at what our priorities are. If you think about it, our bank statements tell the truth about what's really important to us. I know the majority of people's income, probably in this community, is spent on housing, like the majority of our income. But it's a challenge still, isn't it, to see how much we spend on coffee or on brunches or on alcohol. And Jesus hammers this home in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, we'll have the words on the screen as well. Matthew 6, verse 19. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And his point is, if we truly believe that life is eternal... We won't invest all of our time and our energy and our resources and our finances into possessions and entertainments that will just simply perish. Instead, we will pour our energy and our resources into behaviors and actions that will resonate for eternity. And to Jesus, money almost operates as this like rival God, and he's jealous. And he ch- this, it, it challenges our allegiance He says a couple of verses later in verse 24 in Matthew 6. You can have the next slide. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I mean, it's no more black and white than that, is it? And the truth is that the God money invites us to worship is really ourselves as we indulge in our own comfort and pleasure. About eight years ago, uh, Steve and I went through a situation which probably changed my attitude towards money forever. I'm going to paraphrase all the, and dramatically reduce all the toings and froings that happened over a period of six years prior to that. But basically, Steve had done various jobs. Uh, Sometimes he'd been employed, sometimes he'd been self-employed. And the HMRC... God bless them, um, had got a little bit confused with his tax returns. This was in the days where you had to send them off manually. You couldn't do any of it online. And so we'd send off the correct tax returns. We'd think it was all sorted. And then a few months later, they'd send a a reminder that we hadn't completed them. And so we'd resend them. And then a few months later, they'd send us another letter saying the amount had now gone up that we owed. And so we'd ring up again. We'd speak to a different person. They'd reassure us that it was all okay. Then a few months later, we did another letter telling us that we owed even more money. And this cycle continued for about six years. So, and then it all culminated on a dark, cold November morning, just over eight years ago. And there was a knock at the door and Steve was served with a bankruptcy notice. So they froze all our assets. They were going to take everything away from us. And we had a decision to make there and then of how we were going to handle this. Were we going to go into anxiety and panic 
because let's face it, money issues are a major, major cause of anxiety and panic. Or were we going to trust God? And I can honestly say that those few months where we had to fight our case, we had to represent ourselves in court because we couldn't afford a lawyer. We had to make decisions about our future, which our finances didn't permit us to make, were some of the most joyful times that we've ever had. It was, it was so bizarre. We'd get another letter from the HMRC informing us that the debt had gone up even more, and we'd literally laugh over it. And we'd declare the promises of God over the reality. And it was, it was such a time of, of declaring God's provision and promises over us and standing on the truth, even if it meant we lost everything. Because we, we absolutely could have done. Uh, and, but in the middle of that, there was, it was just like it was so freeing. Because if, if it's all up to him. All, all, of, all of our stuff is his. And we, we had this choice every day to trust him rather than what our bank balance was saying. And I, actually, we didn't even have a bank account because they'd frozen that at the time as well. But I can honestly say that something dramatically shifted in us at this point, realizing that it all belongs to God. It all belongs to him anyway. It, you know, even we, we think so often that our money and our possessions are ours, don't, they? Uh, don't we? But they're not. All of our stuff belongs to him. The outcome of that was that we went to court to get it overturned, and we were actually successful, which was incredible. It was against all the odds. We did still have to pay a large sum of money, more than we actually owed, but the bankruptcy w w was overturned, which was, it was just such an answer to prayer. But we learned some lifelong lessons during those few months that just shaped our attitude to money forever. And I think one of the biggest lessons that we learned in, in relation to money is this principle that there's an author called Randy Alcorn, um, only in the States, and he's written a book called The Treasure Principle. And um, it's a real must read. It's really, really challenging. But he talks about the fact that God owns everything. I'm just his money manager. I don't know if any of you work in the, uh, the finance sector and you're kind of like a... Um, uh, manage a trust fund on behalf of someone else. But it's th this is basically the principle. And we realized, you know, in the whole process of this bankruptcy that our house belongs to God anyway. So why worry whether we're going to keep it or not if it all belongs to him anyway? He's got no shortage of resources. He could easily provide us with another place to live. And so understanding ownership of, uh, was half of our lesson. But if God is the owner, then I'm the manager. I need to adopt like a steward's mentality to what he's entrusted me. Not given me, entrusted me. And a steward manages the assets for the owner's benefit. The steward manages the assets for the owner's benefit. And so the steward carries no sense of entitlement towards those assets that he or she manages. It's, it's his or her job to find out what the owner wants to do with the assets and then carry out the owner's will. Does that make sense? And I think this principle of realizing that everything is God's, it just dramatically reduces your anxiety, and it frees us from the money trap. For the next two or three years after that, I don't actually know how we managed to stay in Balham in the house that we have. We had basically way more money going out than we had coming in, and yet somehow it worked. And God had, we knew that God had called us to live in Balham, um, and we knew that he hadn't finished with us being here. 
And so we had to say to God, look, we cannot afford to stay here. It would make so much more sense to move out of London. But if you want us to stay here, you've got to provide. And we'd have family members almost cross with us going, how are you doing this? And yet when we were struggling and really on the edge of not having enough, we'd stripped all the extras out with, you know, no coffees, no meals out, buying food from Lidl, halved our shopping bills, by the way. Um, but we'd increase our giving. And that's, that was our response in that time. We'd increase our giving. And every time we increased our giving, I am not kidding you, we had enough. We'd say, God, I really believe you've called us to live in Balham. And so you have to provide. We can't do this without you. And so we'd increase our tithe. We'd give money away. And I kid you not, month after month, we'd have enough. And it's got to the point now where Steve, for Steve and I, it feels like it's illegal for us to worry about money. It's, it's just illegal. Because we've seen God provide time after time. And all of our stuff is his anyway. These verses from um, Malachi 3, is just near the end of the Old Testament. Malachi 3, verses 8 to 10. These verses just became really real to us at the time. And it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And, and God says here, doesn't he? He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Don't hold back any of it. And the obedient Israelite at the time, he wouldn't go to God and go, I can only afford 7% this month. He wouldn't have done that because he knew what, what God had said about bringing the whole tithe into the, into the storehouse. And uh, where, so where does this tithe go? It goes into the storehouse. There was, there was something in Israel that you didn't decide for yourself. The whole tithe went into the temple for the work of the Levites. The closest parallel today is the, to the temple is the church. The closest parallel to the Levites is the elders of the church. And you see this in Acts 2 in Jerusalem where it says the money was laid at the feet of the apostles who then decided how to distribute it. But I love the second half of this. It says, um, uh, it's just so striking. God says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. Um, I, I don't think there's anywhere else in all of scripture where God says, test me. I don't think, I think that's the only time when God invites us to test him. Like God asks us, he longs for us to give him a chance. It's like he's saying, let me just show you. And, you, you know, you cannot outgive God. There was a, a famous Christian businessman and, and inventor, R.G. Latorno, really famous, apparently. Um, but apparently he used to live on 10% of his income and give away 90%. And he had this brilliant quote, and he just said, I, I keep shoveling out, and God just keeps shoveling back. But God's got a bigger shovel. I love that. And God's economy doesn't work like the earth's economy, does it? it? It honestly doesn't. I've just seen it firsthand, where when you have this attitude shift of everything belongs to God anyway, joyfully giving it away, he gives far more back again. Far more back again. God is saying, test my vision of reality. Just try it out. See what happens. Try generosity. Just try tithing. And just see what happens in your heart. 
try it for six months and just see what happens to your heart. Just literally test God's theory and see if he's right. See if in six months you feel deprived and behind on your bills or more angry. Or see if you feel more free, more content, more generous, more hopeful, more joyful than you've ever been before. Uh, John Mark Homer says that practices are how we index our heart through our mind and our body in the direction of life in Jesus' kingdom. And as best as I can tell for Jesus, tithing is just this practice where we move our heart away from fear and greed and discontentment and injustice and towards what Psalm 23 calls a life without lack. It's how we cultivate a heart of gratitude, of trust, of no anxiety, of peace, of compassion for those, need, for those in need. How many of us want that? And it's basically, it's this belief that God is extravagantly generous and we can trust him. This is a trust issue more than anything else. He is the most generous being in the universe. And he calls us, his people, to reflect that in how we live and how we give. So, for the follower of Jesus, is generosity optional or mandatory? Generosity is optional in the sense that God gives us the freedom to choose, to do as we wish. It's mandatory in that Jesus commands it and expects it of us. But I think it's best to have this paradigm shift. Just to think of it as pure privilege with incredible rewards, both now and later. It's less of a have to than we get to. The benefits so far outweigh the costs that it's just a no-brainer. I want to read these two passages from Acts, which are two streamlined descriptions of the early church. God has just been really speaking to Steve and I uh, over these passages recently. First one's in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then secondly, in Acts 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Love that phrase. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. L I love how the early church operated. It's really challenging, isn't it? But it says in verse, verse 44 that all the believers were together and they had everything in common. And then watch what they did. They didn't hoard. They weren't selfish. They weren't rushing to guard their own supplies. They weren't rushing, rushing to the Jerusalem Tesco to grab excess pasta and toilet paper. We have to understand that we are the body of Christ. 
And because of that, we put others' needs uh, ahead of ourselves. And I, I just think we have an incredible opportunity at the moment to not be selfish, uh, but just be sacrificial and be just completely opposite, completely generous. It says they sold their property, gave to anyone who had need. And I think in the next few weeks or months, we're going to have more opportunities for generosity in the name of Jesus than at any other time. You may have something someone else needs and recognize that God has blessed you to be a blessing to someone else, not just materially, but spiritually or emotionally. And you'll know that people are hurting and, uh, and are afraid at this time. But we can, give them, we can give them so much materially, but also so much more as well. And we can speak hope and we can speak faith against some of the fear that's just paralyzing people right now. And I want to propose that the proof of change of the Holy Spirit's work was that people were generous. It was like a proof of, of the Holy Spirit working within people. And only a profound work of God, I think, can account for the radical change in action and attitudes of concerning money and possessions. And note the church growth. The Lord added to them daily those that were being saved. Wouldn't we, oh guys, wouldn't we love to see this? Where God is adding daily to us those that are being saved. And I just wonder whether there's a correlation between gener generosity and this. And you see this being demonstrated in the lives of people at this church where something of God's heart has just suddenly gripped them and led them to sort of overflow with generosity, whether it's collecting for our bags a blessing project for the homeless or for glass doors or donating money to, uh, so that we can buy new laptops for our job club or uh, individuals who've seen other individuals struggling financially and have just like slowly, just sort of like secretly stepped in and helped. Well, just generally, our generosity and tithing means that we can start to impact this community. I just, I get so excited to see God working on hearts and minds that just overflow with generosity. Our, our aim is to be a church which changes the lives of thousands of people in our community, that rewrites the story of our city. There's a phrase that Causeway Coast Vineyard have, which I just want to read to you. And it says, we are building lives of breathtaking generosity to make the impossible sustainable. I'm just going to read that again. We are building lives of breathtaking generosity to make the impossible sustainable. And that's the goal, isn't it? To see this city and this nation and this world transformed by the power of the gospel. And our generosity is just one way that, that, that we, make help this we help make this possible. And th this just feels a pivotal time in our community to, to press into this. How can we be radically different as a community? How can we just completely go in the opposite spirit of what is actually going on in society? I just uh, I want to touch very briefly on the subject of tithing and give you some basic principles regarding it. Tithing, for those of you who have never heard about it, is the principle that God set up in the Old Testament where he required the first 10% of all that we earned to be given to the temple. So does the Old Testament model of tithing still apply to Christians today, since it was part of the Old Covenant? Personally, I have mixed feelings on tithing. I can't stand legalism. Um, I certainly don't want to impose superseded First Covenant restrictions on Christians. However, the fact is that every New Testament example of giving goes beyond the tithe. 
the call of Jesus is to a life of grace. And if anything, it's to a far more radical lifestyle. We are, we are never told that tithing's been superseded. Jesus directly affirmed it. Prominent church fathers taught it as a requirement for Christian living. And I love that phrase that we read in Acts 4, which was the disciples gave all that they had because much grace was upon them all. It was obvious that being under grace didn't mean that New Testament Christians would give, give less than their Old Testament ancestors. It actually meant that they would give more. Being under grace does not mean living by lower standards than the law. Jesus never lowered the bar. He always raised it. But he always empowers us by his grace to live higher than the law demanded. Just to give you an indicator of what Steve and I do, lots of people have this model and lots of people do it differently to us. But we have, for most of our married life, we've given at least 10% of our gross income towards whichever church we've been a part of. Um, even though we're now employed by this church, we still give 10% of our gross income back to Vineyard 61. And then on top of that, we have a blessing fund. Nice little uh, tweet title. But it's, a, it's just an extra sum of, of money that we kind of put aside every, every month to do spontaneous things with. And that could be paying for other people's meals. It could be helping friends out. It could be giving to charity. And at some point, it's always like, like when do we actually get to do that? But we're, we're starting to want to go to graduated tithing. And so we start increasing our percentage. And so I, I know some people who give 50% of their gross income. I, I, and so we are starting on that process of wanting to increase our percentage as well. And I, I just personally feel like God is challenging me again, even preparing this talk. It's, it's just so easy to settle, isn't it? And, uh, you know, we set up a direct debit and it just happens without it being a heart response. And yet I want to be someone marked by radical generosity. Part of the joy of giving to this church is that we've seen some of the impact of the money that we're given, we've, that we've given. And many of you will relate to what I'm saying because you've been so generous. And so every time we hear a baptism testimony, we know that we've contributed to that person's life being changed. In this life, into eternity. This is what he's talking about when, you, when you're actually preparing for eternity. Every time we listen to stories of people's lives being blessed through the job club or through the English school, we, we know that we've contributed. And I get so excited to hear the lives of people being transformed because I know that I've played an, a part in that as a result of what we all give. Every time we consider what it's going to be like to meet Jesus, can you imagine meeting Jesus on that, on that final day and, and and my prayer is that there would be thousands of people that have come to know him through the life of this church. And to know that I've actually played a part in that along with many of you. Like, what an absolute joy. What a joy. And so I just really believe that we need to be faithful in our giving at this time. Maintaining it in difficult times. Increasing it if we haven't been given much in the past. I think often our lack of giving has been a large part of our financial problems. It's certainly, it's never a solution to it. Um, just to say here, there's a charity called CAP, which we can put you in contact with, who offer debt counselling, really, really valuable help with money issues. And I'd thoroughly, thoroughly recommend having an appointment with them if you're struggling in any way 
This, this can be a, such an area of shame, but there is so much help out there. And as Georgia said a couple of weeks ago, please don't be afraid to put up your hand and ask for help. Like, this is not a time to be ashamed. This is a time to kind of go, guys, I need some help here. And also the reality is this, this can be abused. We've all seen the shiny limos, haven't we, and the private jets and the shiny suits. But if Jesus said it, it's worth paying attention to. And we don't let other people that abuse it condition or not whether we respond to it. We determine in our hearts whether we're going to lean into this or, or not. And here's why. God opens the heavens to those with open hands. When we're generous, we align our hearts with the vision of heaven. And so generosity, is, it's like this sign that we're carrying the life of God. It's the indicator. If you want to know if God is changing your life, look at your generosity level. It's one of the best indicators. It's not necessarily how much Bible you're reading, although that's really, really helpful. But it's not necessarily helpful to know a lot of the Bible and do very little of it. It's, it's far better to go, is God getting hold of my heart and is this leaking? Is it spreading his goodness? Whether you, whether you know Jesus or not, you, you would expect his people to be generous, wouldn't you? Because you look at what Jesus was like. Because everything that God made gives. Everything that God made gives. So the sun gives, the trees give, the rivers give. Everything that God made gives. But only humanity gets the choice on whether it gives. We're the only ones out of all creation who are given the choice whether we give. And that's because it's such a deep privilege and he, res he reserves it for the crown of his creation, people. And he says, us guys, we get to choose whether we become like him. Creation has to give, it has to yield its fruit all the time. Humanity gets the choice because whether we become like him. What a joy of God to give us the joy of giving. God loved this. God so loved the world that he what? He gave. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. So uh, to come down to land today, if I can. See, giving isn't a luxury. It's a privilege. It's an absolute privilege. We get to do this. We get the opportunity to become like him. And generosity is the evidence of the nature of God in our life. It's the evidence that we're getting it. It's the evidence that we're understanding what this life and this kingdom is actually all about. And it's also the evidence that he's getting us. The very nature of who God is, it means that we should be known for our generosity. So I believe generosity starts with, with, with giving a tithe, giving God a tenth of what we earn, the first tenth, before tax, that's, that's like the training wheels for generosity. So if you haven't already, just go ahead and get started on that adventure and that discovery. Go, go and find the abundance of your father's heart towards you as you release what you have in your, heart, in your hands towards him. And I really believe that when we break into kingdom gener generosity, the kingdom breaks in on us. I, I think we can get really weird talking about money and nervous talking about it. But if we don't talk about it, we're depriving people of this adventure with God. We've, we've just found such incredible provision and relationship with God 
through this adventure of giving. And I'm just excited that we get to do this together. For those of you who feel stirred about this, I wonder whether we can just grab something that represents our money symbolically. It could be our purses, or wallets, it could be our phones, we've got Apple Pay or whatever. What is the Android equivalent of that? Google, Google Pay. So anything that like represents your... Um, represents your money. And uh, would you just like hold it out as a, almost like a, a symbol to God? And let, let's just pray. Father, we, we acknowledge today that all we have is yours. Thank you for entrusting us and making us your stewards of your wealth. Thank you that everything else in all creation has to give, and yet we get the choice to give. Thank you that you are so generous that you gave your only son so that we might live eternally with you. And thank you that as we partner with you in generosity that you bring us so much life. And so we just, we simply hold out these kind of symbols and we just say we surrender again to you today. We surrender our bank accounts we surrender our anxieties about money to you. And we say we trust you. We say we trust you that you're a good father. And we thank you that you know what we need even before we do. That all you ask of us is to seek your kingdom first and foremost. So we set our sights again on you today. And we realign our hearts to yours today, Father. Father, would you help us at this time of just unprecedented, um, this unprecedented situation? God, would you, would you help us to be a people marked by generosity? Would we, be, would we become like, that church, like the church in Acts? where we're just willing to give up everything for, for, for other people. Would you change our hearts, God? And we just invite you to challenge us, to provoke us, to stir us over this area. Would we be known as people of radical generosity? And God, would you, we just pray that that would that would have this incredible link to people being saved. Would you add to us daily those that are being saved? We just say we trust you. We trust you with everything that we have. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. 
Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.